I'm glad you found your way to the Your Vet Wants You to Know podcast for more information about how to care for your pet. The show is designed to be educational and entertaining, but not to give a specific diagnosis or treatment for your animal. That job belongs to your veterinarian who knows your pet and wants to talk to you about what's going on with them. I'm here to be a resource only. Thanks and enjoy the show. As a curious pet owner, have you ever taken to the internet for more information? Maybe you want to know why your pet is itchy and what you can do about it. Maybe you're frustrated about the ear infections. Maybe you're looking for ways to make veterinary care more affordable. Instead of wading through a sea of information that may not be reliable and in some cases may be harmful, here is what your vet wants you to know. I'm Dr. Brittany Lancelotti, board certified veterinary dermatology specialist. Join me to get the information you're looking for to care for your pet. If you're curious about your pet, then your vet wants you to know. Welcome everyone to today's episode of Your Vet Wants You to Know. I am very excited to have a special guest with me here today to talk about hospice care for our geriatric pets. For Dr. Mary Gardner, there is nothing better than a dog with a gray muzzle or a skinny old cat. Her professional goal is to increase awareness and medical care for the geriatric veterinary patient and to help make that final life stage as peaceful as possible, surrounded with dignity and support for all members of the family. She is the co-founder and chief information officer of Lap of Love Veterinary Hospice, which has over 300 veterinarians around the country dedicated to veterinary hospice and euthanasia in the home. Dr. Gardner has published two books on caring for geriatric pets. It's Never Long Enough is a book on geriatric dogs, and Nine Lives Are Not Enough is for geriatric cats. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gardner. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. I remember you speaking to our class at Western University when I was a student, and I was just so inspired by the passion and the care that you showed for these older animals at the end of life. Oh, I do love it. And gosh, that was a long time ago. So clearly, I'm still addicted to the weak and the wobbly, the bumpy and the skinny and the families that love them. You know, the goal of this show is I want to connect with pet owners to provide them some information about specific topics Mm -hmm. in terms of an animal that they can relate to. So I would love for you to tell our listeners a story about a pet that you've kind of connected with and, and helps to represent hospice care and how we deal with these animals. Okay. I have so many stories and I have laced a lot of them throughout my books and even my own personal stories, my own pets in their hospice care. And I think one of my favorite hospice patients and families was this golden named Bogey that was diagnosed with lymphoma. And the family reached out to me in the beginning of December, a couple of years ago, and it was in Southern California. He's already seen oncologists, he's seen as general practitioner, and they just wanted to get some hospice care, which we could talk more about what that means. But I remember knocking on the door and I could hear his little you know, nails on the tile and he was just a typical, happy, loving golden retriever that they are so well known for. But you know, he was struggling and he was having some inappetence and diarrhea and the things that come along with end stage diseases. And the family was really struggling with how I know his time, but it wasn't time right then. But we knew it was going to be time in a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months. And they wanted to make sure 
that he was as comfortable as possible, and that they lived every day as fully as they could. And one of their questions for me was, will he make it to Christmas? Because this is in the beginning of December. I said, you know, I can't guarantee that because it's really going to be up to him and his disease progression. But they usually have him on their Christmas cards, and they didn't know if they should put him on their Christmas card or not. And so I said, absolutely, he should be on the Christmas card, even if he's just your Christmas angel this year. And we said goodbye to Bogey on New Year's Eve. So he did make it through Christmas. And boy, the pictures I got were lovely. And even their videos they took of him at the beach for the last few weeks was just amazing. And they really felt supported through it. They had no regrets. Even if he couldn't make it to Christmas, they knew they would do right by Bogey. And we just made sure he was comfortable and that also they could handle the caregiving because we're talking about an 80-pound golden. That's not the easiest to care for with that size. Mm -hmm. And you know, I gave them tips and tricks on how to manage the ailments that he was having. So the family and the case was very typical of what we see and loved that I could be a part of that. You know, We gave him a big kickoff for his next journey. Oh, that sounds really beautiful that you're able to give the family those special holidays together with him. That's yeah, really nice. We, we never want to say goodbye anytime, but certainly during the holidays, it, it just adds a, a level of emotion. And, you know, this Valentine's Day will be two years since I let go of my girl. You know, she was my heart and I will always remember her on Valentine's Day. Yeah, that's really special. You mentioned hospice care, and it's kind of a broad term. Can you break down hospice care into specific topics that you consider when you discuss what this means with owners? Oh, absolutely. And we all practice medicine a little bit differently. So every hospice veterinarian may have different elements that they focus on or add to this. Before I even get into them, so many people have this idea that hospice is about prolonging suffering. And it's absolutely not And it is about support and care for the pet and for the owner during the final stages. And dare I say, if we don't do hospice, we're actually allowing suffering to happen. I kind of break it down into five major components of hospice. The first part of hospice care is the medical side for palliation, so palliative care. And that's just a fancy word for making sure that the pet is as comfortable as possible, whether that's pain anxiety, nausea, you know, all the icky things that happen. And for palliative care, that could come with curative treatment or without curative treatment. So palliative care can be, you know, a younger dog going through something, but with hospice, we're near the end. So we're not seeking curative options. So for bogey, for example, they were not continuing chemotherapy in hopes for curative outcomes. So with hospice palliative care, we're just making sure that they have the proper pain management anxiety management, appetite stimulants if needed, you know, proper hydration. So that's paramount to make sure that they're comfortable. The next part, which I really enjoy, is going to families' homes and setting them up for success to care for these guys because all of the Lapa Love veterinarians have the benefit of going into a home. So we could see where the food bowl is, where the younger dog or kitten is that could be maybe jousting them for position on the couch. Can they get up on the couch? Can they get on their sunny spot still if they're a kitty cat, right? And really set the house up for safety, for ease of mobility, for ease of cleaning, because many times these guys are incontinent. And so what products could we recommend to make it an easier experience for the family and more comfortable for the dog or cat? So if you do not have a veterinarian that can come to your home, 
take videos. Like they are golden. If we in the clinic can see how the house is set up, how the pet might be struggling, we could do a better assessment because when any dog or cat goes into the clinic, they're different. So I encourage everybody to take videos and pictures, but making sure the environment is set up for success is key. That's fantastic because that's the area where the animal's spending the most time and we want them to be comfortable in that area. And I can remember back to my dog, Molly, who we said goodbye to this past summer, but towards the end, she had a lot of intervertebral disc disease. She had a lot of arthritis in her hips. And so we made a lot of changes to our home to make it easier for her to get around, to give her more grip on the floor. And my brother-in-law even came out from New Jersey and he polyurethaned with some sand on top of the step to give her extra grip on that step. So it was easy for her to go up and down. And it just made a huge difference in her being able to go out and lay in her sunny spot in the backyard. You know, when you're in the veterinary hospital, we we do tend to focus a lot on the medicine and what we can do. There are wonderful veterinarians that could talk to all the medicine, but not as much about what products to recommend, like the polyurethane in the sand, right? It's so Mm -hmm. easy to do. So a visually impaired dog or cat, how can we set the house up so that way they're safe? Or And also not as nervous because they could get nervous when they can't see or hear or gosh, the worst thing ever is cognitive dysfunction. And I mean, owners suffer with that too. With my girl, Sam, she had spinal lymphoma. So she had major mobility issues. And one of my biggest problems was her fecal incontinence. So she Mm -hmm. would just poop on the rug and then she would fall on it and get it in her fur. And it was just a nightmare. And so I learned how to have her poop on demand. (laughs) I won't go into details, but it was massive for me as a caregiver to be able to not have to clean up her poop three times a day in the house. And it's not about finances because if they can't afford a certain harness, what's a cheaper alternative? But it's about what can they physically manage? We talk about big dogs, but even a smaller dog or cat that has issues where you have to clean up after them and things like that. So What can a family physically do? How much time can they invest? It on average for a geriatric or terminally ill pet, it'll take three hours a day for just the care that you give that you spend on them. And that's a lot, right? Absolutely. You could have two kids yourself, a job, you know, like you're not home for 10 hours. And, you know, if we can't manage that, then they get caregiver burden and caregiver fatigue and burnout. And that's what I want to avoid. So is there respite care in their area? Are there good mobile groomers that could help or, you know, wonderful technicians that are in our industry that will come and help during the weekend, let's say, and you want to have a weekend off, like it's okay to be tired and stressed and need a day away. And I want to support families because you start to become isolated and you just don't leave because you think you can't. Yeah, caregiver burden is Mm -hmm. a very real thing. And there's a lot of amazing research that's being done on caregiver burden. And I I think that's something that people don't often recognize when they're caring for their own pet, is that it can truly be exhausting and isolating and really hard, not just for the pet, but for the owner as well. A hundred percent. And that is one lecture I give actually to veterinarians, because I don't know if we, you know, all recognize the struggles that a family has, because we just don't see it. That's, again, I'm in homes. So I see it a little bit more and I see what they go through and how they've set up their house and what they're dealing with and the the smells and, and they'll keep doing it, but it can be stressful. And all that research that you've mentioned, Dr. Mary Beth Spitznagel, she's done a lot of research on this and Mm -hmm. she has a great website called petcaregiverburden.com. 
and it's got some good support tactics and things like that. But it basically has shown that the stress, the depression, just knowing for those listeners that are going through it, like I get it, I empathize, like I know. And that's why I want to make sure that we can make it easier for them because it is stressful. I think that's a great resource for people to look at. Dr. Mary Beth Spitznagel is a fantastic researcher, and I'll have a link to her website in the show notes if you want to check that out. I want to talk about quality of life because we've Mm. talked about some things that, you know, the animals may struggle with, but how do you talk to pet owners about quality of life? What are you typically evaluating in terms of what the animal's going through? This is probably the most impactful part of my hospice visit. It's usually at least a half an hour because this is the worst decision you'll ever make. Yeah. And quality of life is so subjective. And when you make that decision is subjective, it's personal. And I myself may do more and keep my pet longer than other people. And it's not that I'm right or wrong, but it is what I can handle. And it's okay if somebody couldn't handle that and they want to say goodbye you know, sooner. It's quality of life for the pet, which also extends to the family. And I don't mean that in a selfish way. If the family can't manage the pet mm-hmm. and then therefore it hurts the pet's quality of life, that's a problem. So what are the ailments the pet is dealing with? Because there are some that are, dare I say, worse than others. And anxiety is horrible. That's the worst ailment I think to have. So if you've got a pet that has respiratory distress. That's worse than, let's say, being incontinent or drinking a lot and peeing a lot. Like That's horrible for the family to deal with, but it's not so much for the pet. So whether it's mobility issues and they can't get up or the cat can't get on any of their favorite spots, that's bad too. But anxiety is always rings number one for me. So if that dog can't get on the couch and that's making them anxious, and that's not good either. I myself, I have a dog that has separation anxiety. So I know when I leave, like I can't stand watching his reaction. So he gets a lot of medications for it. So the ailments they're having is the first thing I talk about. The second is the pet's personality and how well they're managing their problems. Like bogey, not that the tail is the indicator of quality of life. I need to make sure I, I state that clearly too, but he was still happy. Like the family knows what makes bogey happy and he was still happy even when he started to decline in his appetite and stuff like that. So are they taking their medications okay? Are they running from the family? I don't want them running away because they hate it. My current dog who has anxiety, he couldn't go to physical therapy. He couldn't go to get some treatments. Like He wouldn't be able to benefit from some of the things that my other dog, Sam, did because her personality allowed her to take part in things. The next thing is the family's beliefs. Every single one of us, even Dr. Brittany and me have a difference of opinions, right? We all have a different opinion and I have to respect that. So if a family says, you know what? We know that he will only get worse from now. Today's a good day and every day is only going to be a little bit worse. And we want to say goodbye today. I'll support that decision to say goodbye today. And that's really hard because you know that they could have a good day tomorrow, but what you're preventing is bad days from ever happening. And there are some families that could do that more than others, and I support that decision. I also support if we need to wait a little bit longer, as long as there's palliative care. Man, it's very complex, and you have to have somebody help guide you through the quality of life discussions with no judgment. And there's a lot of scales out there, which I don't mind quality of life scales. I have my own personal one, Lap of Love, we have one. And it's really just a guide for us to 
start thinking about some of the things that we might not have thought about that does address quality of life. And that's like with Bogey, I wanted them to go get the videos. I wanted to do professional photo shoot. I wanted to make sure that he was okay for the Christmas card and, and they had no regrets. Boy, they were sad and they still are today, but they will have no regrets. So there's a place I lovingly call Denial Island and (laughs) I've been there myself because we never want to say goodbye. And that's why I named my books. It's never long enough because we'd never Mm -hmm. get enough time. And I get it. You may not see the struggles your pet is having because you're on denial island or denial goggles are on. And that's where some of these quality life scales can be very helpful to be a little bit more objective for something that is so subjective. Yeah, I think you've brought up a couple of really good points there about that quality of life discussion. Every veterinarian has a different discussion. Mm-hmm. There are lots of different resources that are available for helping you to gauge what your animal's quality of life is. But what it comes down to is you and your family mm-hmm. and the conversation that you have with the people that love the animal more than anything else. And because everybody is coming with a different background and different beliefs, that decision can only belong to you and you alone. Yeah. And I encourage everyone to have a veterinarian that they trust that they can have that conversation with. But yeah. you're absolutely right. <laughs> Denial uh, Island is den- a, a real place. You know, and there's also a lot of times arguments in between family members and they struggle. So mom and dad, partners, teenage kids get involved. Like It's a huge dynamic. And what I think is important for people to do is recognize that none of us want our pets to suffer. Right. The question is, what is suffering? I think if my dog sits in their poop, that's suffering. I think if they don't eat for three days straight, that's suffering. And I think that helps open the discussion because the partner may say, well, you know what? I think it's five days. Five days is the day. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And say, okay, well, let's come to a line in the sand. And I think that's what helps is draw that line in the sand and literally write these things out, make a diary. I love calendars where I just put a big X on the bad days because everyone says, oh, you know, more good days than bad. But if you don't monitor what you're measuring, you won't do it well. And so mm-hmm. um, because you're on Denial Island, all of a sudden they ate finally and you're like, yes, he's doing better. But he didn't eat for five days before that. Mm-hmm. And you lose track. So monitor what you're measuring. You know, because hospice care does involve providing the pet good quality of life, typically also involves a conversation about the end of life. Can you tell us a little bit about how you discuss end of life with pet owners? I always want to talk about it sooner than later because I want them to know that I am there to support their decision. Like I want to have that discussion early on. And I also want to discuss what euthanasia is. There's a lot of families that don't even know what it really means. They think we're giving a heart attack. And I want to talk about how I do it with, you know, sedation. And at Lap of Love, we do it all in the homes or backyards or boats or wherever they want to be. And so, you know, we can sort of plan that goodbye. And I think it's very helpful for families to not be scared of the process. The last place I ever want a euthanasia to happen is in an emergency room. It's just the worst place to be. And sometimes that's where we're at. And if a family is opposed to euthanasia, I want to talk about palliative care for natural passing because we should never just let our pets just die on their own without making sure that they are not experiencing pain. And, you know, I lost my sister this summer and she was on a lot of morphine. And I think that's very needed in our pets. I don't ever want them to pass 
having any form of suffering. And there are many people who are adamantly against euthanasia, but they are also adamantly against the pet suffering. So natural passing, you're not always present for it. You could be gone shopping and you come home and they've passed. And that's very jarring. I always say that I'm not ending life. I'm ending the dying process. They're mm-hmm. already dying. And if we could make sure that they die well, then that will help with some of the regret as well. And the two pets that I mourn the most are the ones that died on their own, my own pets, and I wasn't there. I wasn't there for my Doberman Neo to hold his paw and thank him for all that he's given me. And uh, my other cat was an accident. And those are the ones that I still mourn over because I couldn't say I love you and I couldn't make sure it was a good goodbye. Yeah, I think goodbye is the word. Yeah, It's not supposed to be something that is traumatic. Of course, it is sad and heartbreaking. But for these animals, it is a good Bye. I want to have you kind of discuss very briefly what that process involves so people understand, you know, how euthanasia typically progresses. I'm so glad you asked me about this because I do want everybody to understand what the euthanasia process is. I've dedicated a whole chapter to it in my book because oftentimes people are scared. And I think when we remove that mystery, we could set expectations and not be scared. We could still be sad, but not scared. But minimally, it is painless. So that's important to know. The majority of veterinarians here in the United States do something we call pre-sedation. So they'll give them a little sedation, usually a, a shot under the skin, like a vaccine, and it just provides pain relief. So they start to feel really good. I love it because owners can like just see the pet relax. You know, they've been tense or painful and they just see them relax. Maybe anxiety washes away. And there's then a sedative. So you know, after I give it, they're still eating a cupcake, they're still getting loved on, and they slowly start to fall asleep. So it's a beautiful passage. You know, it's not like an abrupt, sudden thing that happens. And then they're snoring usually. And I have to tell you, probably 30% of the time, someone will say, this is the best sleep he's had in weeks. And that's what I want. I want them to remember that. Then the final medication is simply an overdose of anesthesia. So however we administer that, it will travel to the brain. And when that goes away, everything else starts to follow. So that could take 30 seconds. It could take a few minutes. It's all dependent on blood pressure, on circulation, on the ailment the pet has. Like no one passing is the same. And I think the main point is that there is no suffering happening. They're sleeping And it is a massive overdose of anesthesia. And then they pass in their sleep. That is what we want for natural passing, right? When someone says, I want them to die on their own. No, no, you want them to die in their sleep. And we guarantee that. I think everyone could tell I'm very passionate about that because I have had people crying in my arms because they did not do the good goodbye. And the two things I always prepare an owner for is that their pet will relax their bladder so they may urinate and their eyes don't close all the way. And that could startle some people, but it's okay. It's just the eyelids are a muscle. Everything shuts down and relaxes. I love to make memorial items afterwards. So I always make paw prints in clay or in ink. I do nose prints. I take a fur clipping. But if a family doesn't want those things, that's okay too. There's no judgment. Some people are like, nope. And I have also shaved an entire dog because they wanted to make a pillow out of them. So (laughs) (laughs) I am up for anything usually. 
So if I can, I'll do it because, you know, there's some special ways that we can memorialize our pet and some amazing artists that do some great things to help honor that pet even after they've passed. Yeah, I think every family is a little bit different as far as what is special to them about their pet and how they want to remember them. But there are a lot of different ways that you can do that. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's something to think about as well. I am just amazed and thankful for all of the information that you've given to pet owners today about caring for these older animals with terminal illnesses and that end of life discussion. What are some of the big takeaway points that you'd like pet owners to remember about hospice care? I think the big thing is to not focus on the goodbye, but literally live every single day. Because the one thing you'll regret is you didn't say I love you enough. That goes for humans goodbye too, right? We always want to say I love you. And I adore bucket lists. I'm addicted to bucket lists. They could be as silly as you want. Even for my dog, Duncan, one of his things was to pee on the neighbor's plants. Like it was just (laughs) so much fun to make a bucket list for for what he was, you know, at his older age. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he couldn't run a mile, but we could certainly bark at the mailman, whatever it may be. And I had such a wonderful time making it and checking them off. It was, you know, steak dinner in bed, whatever. And I just really encouraged families to send them to me and take pictures of it. And you know what that does too, is it helps counteract disenfranchised grief. So disenfranchised Mm -hmm. grief is that, oh, he's just a dog or he's just a cat. And you know what? He is not just a dog and she is not just a cat. They are a part of our lives. They're a part of our families. They are my children. They are a being in the home, a sense of security, a sense of friendship. There are so much more. And when we can honor them and show what a wonderful life they're having before they pass, it will certainly help after they've become angels. Yeah, I think those good memories really help to heal the grief that's in people's hearts when the animal's no longer with them. So making sure that you're making all those good memories is a really special way of honoring the bond that you have with your animal. So I want to give people some more resources, and that's drmarygardner.com, G-A-R-D-N-E-R. And I'll have that link in the show notes as well. And then Lap of Love, to find a veterinarian in your area, is lapoflove.com. And there's some great resources on there as well. There's also a link to find a veterinarian through the International Association for Animal Hospice and Palliative Care on the website if you would like to find a veterinarian in your area there. If you want to take a look at the full transcript of the episode, that's available on the website yourvetwantsyoutoknow.com as well. We also have a Facebook group um, which you can join and tell us about your experience with hospice care, end of life care for your pet. There's a really amazing community there. It's a great group to be a part of. Dr. Gardner, at the end of each one of our episodes, we have a segment called Scratching the Itch. And this is a short segment that is designed to highlight something, a human interest story, a product, a website, essentially something that just provides relief or makes you feel good, hence Scratching the Itch. (laughs) So I was wondering if you had a Scratching the Itch that you would like to share with our listeners today. Gosh, I have tons of itches I could scratch. I love it. Uh, this This is amazing. You know, I'll I'll share uh, one thing that I've come across recently. I met this amazing vet in the UK, and her name is Dr. Jade, and she started something called Street Vet. And now there are over like 400 volunteers in her network all over the United Kingdom, and they focus and give the care to homeless people with their dogs. 
And it just is such an amazing, heartwarming story. And I plan to go help and volunteer with her organization. And there are some here also in the United States. And it just was so amazing to hear the stories. And I, and I was talking to some homeless people with their dogs, how important that that pet is to them. And they won't even go into shelters because they can't bring their dog in. They won't go get medical care for themselves because they can't bring their dog in with them. So Dr. Jade is not only providing medical care for these dogs, but also some shelters so they can take their dogs in with them or even just day shelters so that person can go get help themselves. And it's just... It warmed my heart when I talked to her and the people that she was helping. And so I think it's wonderful that we care for those that may have some difficulties and struggles in life, but also share the love of a dog. This is an amazing organization. And I will have a link um, for people to find out more information about Street Vet in the show notes. If you want to donate so that they can help further their mission, I think that would be a wonderful cause to contribute to. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Dr. Gardner, for coming on the show and joining us today. I am so grateful for your time and your expertise and the passion that you bring to veterinary medicine. Well, thanks for having me. I hope this is helpful for a ton of families that love their older pets too. Absolutely. And for those of you who are listening, I look forward to your next visit with Your Vet Wants You to Know. 